0: I view it as an autoimmune disease. Like the consensus is not out, but we do know those with endometriosis have a higher likelihood of Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune, higher likelihood of celiac, which is autoimmune, higher likelihood of Sjogren's, which is autoimmune, higher likelihood of really all autoimmune disorders. And I do believe that there's an inflammatory effect to endometriosis. I think. It behaves like an autoimmune disease. I don't think we have data to say yes, it is or it isn't, but that's how I treat my patients.
1: Are you struggling with bloating, gas, constipation, and fatigue, but don't know what's causing these problems? The Gut Health Reset Podcast with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter dives deep into the root causes behind these issues that start in the gut. This podcast will give you the knowledge you need to heal your gut and reset your health. Today, on the Gut Health Reset podcast, we are diving into how gut problems and female reproductive problems are very linked. How many women are misdiagnosed with having a gut problem when they actually have endometriosis? We talk about the questions that you can ask. We talk about what endometriosis is, how we get it, treatment options, how to set yourself up for success how SIBO and endometriosis are links. And also we cover if endometriosis is an autoimmune disease. So stay tuned to see if endometriosis could be causing your bloating, your constipation, your loose stools, or your stomach pain. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Gut Health Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. And we are so grateful for your support. So thank you so much for doing that. And we have brought on an amazing guest today that will not disappoint and give you lots of amazing, usable information. My special guest is Dr. Iris Karen Orbuck. She is the Director of Advanced Gynecologic Laparoscopy Center in Los Angeles and in New York City. Dr. Iris Karen Orbach's practice is limited to laparoscopic and robotic gynecologic surgery and is primarily a referral-based practice. She performs advanced techniques at St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica, California, Lenox Hill Hospital, Mount Sinai, and Beth Israel Hospital in New York City. Dr. Iris Karen Orbach is a board-certified OBGYN. She offers gentle, compassionate care, and a personal touch. Dr. Karen Orbach, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here today.
0: Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here. Truly so thrilled.
1: I've been excited about this episode. We have to reschedule it a couple of times, but I've been really looking forward to this episode because you bring mm-hmm. a lot of different pieces to the table where we can link some of the female reproductive and gut symptoms. So I just want to dive right in. So how many women do you think are misdiagnosed with a gut issue? And this is hypothetical because it's really going to be hard to have that number that are diagnosed with a gut issue that actually have
0: endometriosis. It is such a good question. And it's probably such a high number because If I'm having a quote unquote stomach ache or constipation or diarrhea or alternating constipation or diarrhea or bloating or painful bowel movement, I'm going to go straight to the GI, the gastroenterologist, rather than going to the gynecologist. So what happens when one visits the GI, they maybe do an upper endoscopy, a lower endoscopy, maybe maybe some blood work, and they say everything's normal, and then they diagnose them with irritable bowel syndrome. I try and give grand rounds to gastroenterologists, and I tell them, if after you've done your full workup, you diagnose someone with IBS, if you can ask three questions, it'll take literally 40 seconds to the patient. Number one, do you have painful periods? Number two, do you have pelvic pain? Number three, do you have any painful sex, deep penetration pain? or heavy periods, let's say four questions. If they answer yes to even one of them, if you can just say to that patient, Hey, I wonder if you have endometriosis, go see a specialist. Like I, I try and educate all the time. And I think only if GIs were trained about endo, would they, that would we actually have that number? But I suspect most of most patients are diagnosed with IBS when in fact it is endometriosis or some other autoimmune disease that is causing inflammation, which is then flaring the gut. Mm
1: -hmm. And what is endometriosis?
0: So endometriosis is a really common disease process, which affects way too many women, roughly about 10% of women, which translates to about 200 million women worldwide, which is just like the nuttiest number when we think about it. And it can cause symptoms of painful periods, it can be pain preceding a period, pain after a period, pain with ovulation, could be pain all month long, um, heavy menses, heavy bleeding, deep penetration pain, it can cause GI issues such as constipation or diarrhea or alternating constipation and diarrhea painful bowel movements, bloating. It can cause urological symptoms such as getting up at nighttime to urinate, urinary urgency, like I got to go to the bathroom, urinary frequency, feeling like one has a urinary tract infection and burning with urination. It can cause infertility. In fact, unexplained infertility when the sperm is normal and the tubes are open. When someone has unexplained infertility, endo accounts for 40% of unexplained infertility. But scientifically, what endo is, is when you have cells that are similar to the endometrium, not identical, but similar. So the endometrium is that lining that gets thicker and thicker each month. And then if we don't get pregnant, we shed that lining. So when we have cells that are similar to that lining, but they're found external or outside of the uterus, that's what endometriosis is. So what happens every month, our lining is getting thicker and thicker because the hormones from our ovaries are telling our uterine lining to get thicker and thicker. Those same hormones are targeting the inflammatory implants of endometriosis. So too telling them, Hey, you get thicker and thicker. The problem is there's no exit point in the pelvis. So month after month, after month, those implants are getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and they start pulling or distorting the anatomy to the left or to the right or to the back and causing scarring adjacent to the, um, uh, nearby organs, such as the bowel and inflammation. And it's, it's just, it's such a devastating disease because it's invisible. Meaning the the patient looks perfectly quote unquote normal. Meaning if someone has a sling on like in their arm, you're like, oh my gosh, what happened to you? That must be painful. But someone with endometriosis, they, they physically look perfectly normal and we're not picking it up on blood work. We're not picking it up on imaging and In the U.S., there's a 10-year diagnostic delay where women see an average of eight physicians over a course of a decade. Can you imagine? Like, every time I say that statistic, I just literally, I boxed this morning. I just, I want to hit the bag so hard every time I, I hear that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's so many. And I, it's, you know, so how
0: do you diagnose endometriosis? So we need to, so that the accurate way to diagnose endo is a surgical diagnosis. So we do a laparoscopy, which is like little keyhole surgery, same surgery. If you had your gallbladder out or your appendix out and we need to excise or remove those cells, send them off to the pathologist, that doc who looks at them under the microscope. And they say, yeah, these cells are pretty similar to the lining of the uterus. Hence they have the diagnosis of endometriosis, but the way that I can tell with a very high suspicion is in my initial consultation with my patients. I read all the records that preceded their appointment. I listen to my patients. I spent about an hour and a half or two hours with my initial consults and I query them on, on gynecological issues, GI issues, urological issues, inflammatory issues, fatigue, just all of like a, from a head to toe approach. And then my physical exam I combine that with those other two modalities, the records and listening to a patient. And I can tell with 90% certainty, it's probably higher than that, but at least 90% certainty whether I would find endometriosis at the time of surgery. My physical exam that I learned from one of my two amazing mentors in my fellowship, Dr. Harry Ridge, it took me years to get this um, physical exam down, but for me, it's, it's, it's better than any imaging modality um, to, to to tell someone, hey, I think you've got endo.
1: And the first course of treatment for
0: endo is generally birth control. Is that correct? Well, that's if we we're talking and we're following the American College of OBGYN guidelines. Now, mm-hmm. what's so important is that medical treatment, birth control being one of them, does not stop progression of endometriosis the purpose of birth control is just to treat symptoms. So if someone has really heavy periods, then we can prescribe them birth control pills because it'll lessen the heaviness of their periods, assuming they can tolerate the side effects. For some people, if they've really painful periods and we put them on the birth control pill, perhaps it can lessen the intensity or the pain of their periods. Again, assuming that they can tolerate the side effects. But all the while, while someone's on the pill, It may mask some of their symptoms, but the disease is progressing. And that's the problem is that so many people go on the birth control pill as a teenager, right? They just don't want to get pregnant. They start to become sexually active. They go on the pill, not necessarily for painful period reasons or pelvic pain reasons, but to prevent pregnancy. And then they end up on in college because they're sexually active. Then they just don't want to get pregnant when they're in grad school or whatever, whatever, whatever course or path or trajectory of their life takes them. And then when they're finally ready to get pregnant, they go off the pill. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, I can't get pregnant. And a lot of people then blame the pill. I'm not getting pregnant. But in fact, it was just masking the symptoms of endometriosis. Why do we get endometriosis? So we definitely know that there's a genetic component to the disease. So meaning if the mom has endo or on the dad's side, it could be the grandmother, the aunt, cousins, on on maternal or paternal side, that fetus or that young girl has a seven to tenfold higher likelihood of getting endo if there's a genetic link to it, particularly aunt, grandmother, sibling. mother, uh, who has endo. So if we talk about the baseline likelihood of getting endo is about 10%. So a seven to 10 fold increases, a 70 to 100% increase. And we also know when the mom's pregnant with the fetus exposures to dioxins, which are byproducts of bleaching, um, to that fetus while she's in her mom's uterus, uh, cause endometriosis. And there's probably tons of other chemicals that we don't know of that do cause endometriosis. And really interestingly, there was a study that was done where they looked at female fetuses. So um, who unfortunately passed away. Let's say there was blunt trauma to the mom or a car accident and the fetus passed away. And they did autopsies on those female fetuses that passed away. And you'd never guess what percentage of endometriosis was found in those female fetuses. This study blew my mind, 9%. Wow, which isn't too dissimilar than the ten percent we quote in the general population. So people are born with endometriosis. Again, whether it's genetic link or exposures that are then altering the either expressions of genes or whether our body, how our bodies are clearing things in the peritoneal cavity. The peritoneal cavity meaning like the saran wrap covering of the pelvis and abdomen. We haven't figured it out quite yet. Um, which is mind blowing that, you know, we, we don't, we don't, we don't have like a genetic sequence to diagnose endometriosis. So it's, it's pretty amazing that, um, so many amazing, amazingly sad that so many people are suffering for so many years. Uh, with this disease. To me, it's just, it's like devastating. Like I share my patient's pain. I feel it. That's why I have to box. That's why I have to like do yoga Mm -hmm. before I go to the office or go for a walk because I need to clear my head because I feel my patient's pain because it's so painful. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question. So uh,
1: you, you've kind of blown the lid off um, a lot of different things. I want to go back to the chemicals, Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you seeing the rate of endometriosis increase as chemicals Mm -hmm. seem to be
0: increasing? So it's hard to answer that question. I'm a very scientific mind. Mm -hmm. I'm not an anecdotal human being. Like the way that my brain works is it's like, I'm a really crazy outside the box thinker. And I, and I'm always thinking about stuff like this, but we have to take an effect one social media, right? There's so much more awareness. There's so much more, people are more comfortable talking about endo now than they were even two years ago or four years ago or eight years ago. So the more someone talks about something, the more awareness is raised, the more people are like, oh, maybe I have endometriosis. So, so it's hard to know what is the link that is um kind of shortening the, that 10 year delay in diagnosis. Um, but what I am seeing in my office a lot is the, I have a lot of mother daughters or siblings in my office. And I can speak from that correlation. And I'll tell you what I see all the time. I have the mom bringing the teen, cause teenage endo is one of my passions and specialties. I love getting a teenager in my office, because even if they're in pain for six months, that's six months too long, right? But so at least like, it's not 10 years too long or 20 or 30 years too long, which I do see all every day in my office. And the mom will say to me, oh, I was like that. But then the mom will say it's so much worse for her. Like the mom will say, oh, it was bad for me, but it's so much worse for her. I do think that All of the chemicals and the glyphosates and all the crap that we're spraying on our foods and our produce and our air fresheners and our the crap we're putting in our lotions and shampoos and our external environment has a huge impact on the expression of the disease. And I think there's also so many more. I'm I'm more Eastern. I I should like I'm. I probably was a naturopath in another life or an acupuncturist Mm -hmm. or. Um, and I do think we have a lot more heavy metals in our body. We have a lot more, um, things that are not allowing our body to detoxify and clear things in our body. And then we also have this crazy world where information, like we don't have a minute to let our minds rest. So we're constantly, um, multitasking, which is never good. We're constantly, we're never letting our body rest and restore, which is so important for healing. So I think there's so many factors. I would love to know the answer to your question, but I don't know how we would even ascertain that. It's tough, right? It's just,
1: it's, I think this one's all personal experience. I think that maybe you're on the front lines of that, to be Mm -hmm. honest. So one last question, kind of getting comfortable with endometriosis and then I want to link it back to the gut, but a, A question I have gotten um, a lot is, is endometriosis an autoimmune disease?
0: Such a good question. I view it as an autoimmune disease. Like the consensus is not out, but we do know those with endometriosis have a higher likelihood of Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune, higher likelihood of celiac, which is autoimmune, higher likelihood of Sjogren's, which is autoimmune, higher likelihood, of really all autoimmune disorders. And I do believe that there's an inflammatory effect to endometriosis. I think it behaves like an autoimmune disease. I don't think we have data to say yes it is or it isn't, but that's how I treat my patients by decreasing, in the same way someone would you know, treat the gut if someone has Hashimoto's, Or any autoimmune disease, because I really do believe a lot of autoimmune diseases are born from the gut. Um, I treat my patients by shutting down as much inflammation as we can throughout the body.
1: So many people struggle with bloating, bowel issues, brain fog, fatigue. You might not even have any gut issues, but did you know the cause of it could be food sensitivities or gut infections? What I have done is I have brought a talented functional nutritionist into my practice. We have very similar training in the nutritional world. And her name is Alexis Appleberry. She is awesome. So you can head on over to our website, Alt ALT FAM FAM Med, Med and have a consultation with her and schedule so that she can help you get to the root cause of your problems. We have really covered the female reproductive system, but how is our gut
0: linked to our female reproductive system? So those implants that I was talking about, those implants external or outside of the uterus. So not only are they like literally structurally pulling our uterus or whatever they're attached to, to the right or the left or the back, and then tethering the adjacent organs to it but those implants are pro-inflammatory. They set off all these interleukins. Interleukins are um, inflammatory mediators. Like with COVID, we talk about a cytokine storm. Cytokines also be inflammatory mediators, but in endometriosis, we know it's more like interleukins and all these inflammatory mediators. Those inflammatory mediators don't just rest. Well, first of all, endo can be found from head to toe in the diaphragm and the lungs. It's been found in just about every organ of the body. We have a patient in our practice who had nosebleeds every month with her period because she had ectopic endometriosis implants in her nose. It's been found everywhere, but what happens are those implants. Let's just say for ease of the conversation that those implants are found in in what we call like the cul-de-sac. That's the area behind the uterus in front of the rectum and We know that those implants are releasing tons of interleukins, tons of inflammatory mediators. That inflammation goes everywhere. It goes head to toe. It goes to the gut, causes inflammation. And there was such a cool study that looked at those with endometriosis who have GI symptoms, gastrointestinal symptoms. What percentage of those patients actually had endo on the bowel? By a large portion, huge. Eight percent. Eight? Only eight? Eight percent. I think it was like 8.3 or eight point something. I'm not smart enough to remember the point, whatever it was, but the whole idea and and reading this paper totally blew my mind. And every time I read something, it makes me think and try and better understand this disease than I did like the day or like the moments before I read, read these papers. So I'm very academic in my approach, but I'm very outside the box in how I'm treating endo. So what it is, is it's the inflammatory effect of those implants that is causing inflammation. Let's say, cause we're talking about the gut today, inflammation of the gut. And that's why I find with my patients, I'm finding, and I haven't done a study on this But I'm finding roughly about 70% of my patients have SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Huge, huge, huge percentage. Some are methane, some are hydrogen elevation, some are both. But what I do first with all of my patients, they come to me and want surgery tomorrow. And I'm like, well, no, we've got to figure out all the reasons why you have symptoms. One of the first things I always do is I, I send them off for um uh, gut evaluation. Do they have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? Like what is the state of their gut? I have them work with integrative nutritionists to boost and rebuild the gut. And it's, it's, or acupuncturists with herbs, like just an an Eastern approach to a Western disease. And it's unbelievable. Like you know, the thing is, I don't have a roadmap when I operate on a patient, what am I going to find, right? Because I said that there's no imaging or there's blood work. My physical exam is going to tell me what's stuck to what to the best of the, the That's the best indicator before I literally put the laparoscope in a, in a patient and I'm ready to attack bowel, you know, like to cut or excise endo off the bowel excision surgery being the cornerstone of treatment for endo, but it's not always there. It's, it's 8% of the time I'm finding endo on the bowel. And even when I excise endo adjacent to the bowel, meaning not on the bowel, it's just like in the pelvic cavity, very often their constipation gets better or their diarrhea gets better or their bloating, all these GI symptoms do get better. Now, we can't simplify it that much because if someone is so uber stressed and they have transit issues because they're in sympathetic overdrive, we've got to undo the, that sympathetic overdrive to help improve transit and, you know, like that whole mind-gut, mind-body connection. Me cutting out endo is not gonna improve transit, right? Of, of things, but it will relieve like a lot, a lot, a lot of the symptoms. Do
1: you um, have you ever found that after you have gotten somebody set with a gut evaluation, you've lowered their stress? Do you find that you always need to do surgery for endometriosis, or do you find that a lot of the symptoms will resolve
0: some of the time? I love that question. So, so that's like my total approach is and, and the way that I explain it because I played a lot of dominoes as a kid and I love the game of dominoes and I it's have awesome. This a great slide. When I, like, when I give lectures, there's not many words on my um, slides. They're all pictures because I'm a visual human being. Everything for me is colors and pictures and not words. It's like, anyway, so like, like we have our first domino, which is endo. Endo causes the tight muscle, like the muscles of the pelvis to tighten and the muscles of the abdomen all over our body to tighten then that kind of flares the gut, like inflammatory effect of the gut. Then then that can flare the central nervous system. Then that can flare the, the nerves to the uh, bladder. Then that, you know, where one can become more anxious or depressed if they've gone to eight doctors over a course of a decade, them telling them, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. So what I do is I work backwards. I start to get the mind body connection better. I talk about meditation, mindfulness, breath work, raising the parasympathetic state over a sympathetic straight, because most patients who come into me, it's like a bear is chasing them. Like literally the bear is like right behind their shoulder. And I explain to them, I'm trying to increase the distance of that bear, meaning decrease the sympathetic overdrive and raise the parasympathetic overdrive. We work on, um, Uh, like getting them evaluated for SIBO. Like I said, working with an integrative nutritionist, getting them into pelvic floor physical therapy, whatever those things are. And then I operate if they need it. However, so I usually will, will do that initial eval. I'll give them suggestions of what to do based on it's, it's very personalized and individualized, how I approach each patient because everyone's has multiple pain generators by the time they come into my office and I have to figure out what's their primary pain generator, but either way, I've got to lift and undo all of these dominoes. The problem is just like the game of dominoes. If the first domino keeps knocking down the second one, it's going to then knock down the third and knock down the fourth, because if the endometriosis, let's say, is anatomically pulling to the right side, it's going to pull on the underlying muscles. The muscles are then going to be tight. Then that's going to cause pain. Then that's going to flare the central nervous system. That's going to knock down all of the stuff. And also that inflammation is still going to be hanging out, which is going to keep flaring the gut, which is going to keep causing SIBO, which is going to keep causing all of these things. So in general, like I had a patient, um, oh, yesterday who I operated on. And in the pre-op holding area, I was asking her, and I ask my patients this all the time. And I had been working with this patient, I'm trying to remember maybe three or four months, uh, and uh, like prior to surgery, to just tune her up. And I asked her, what percentage better is your pain? From the first time we met to now, this is prior to my surgery. I was about to take her back to the OR. And she's like 60 to 70%. I can get my patient's pain Sometimes it's 10%, sometimes it's 30, but the number I hear often is like 40, 50 to 60, 70% better. Because those secondary things that are accruing over a course of a decade are so significant that I need to undo them. However, if I don't cut out or excise that endo that's pulling everything to one side, I need to restore the anatomy. So I'm not pulling on the underlying muscles and also cut out all that inflammatory stuff. So typically I do end up operating on most people, but although I'm a surgeon, I'm never quick to operate on someone. Like, does, does that make sense? I think I, it's a great approach. Yeah. And by the time I see them for their pre-surgery visit, which I do about a week to two weeks before surgery, and all we're doing is talking about the surgery. Like, what if I find this? What do you want me to do? What if I find that? Just about every patient says to me, I'm excited for surgery. I'm ready for surgery. And I say to them, that means you're in the exact right place to have surgery. Meaning we've lifted off a lot of those pain generators or started to make a huge dent on them. So now they're in a good place for surgery. Mm -hmm. And then we continue all of those things. It's not like then I operate and they stop meditating and they stop pelvic floor PT. I tell them my surgery cuts out that endo. It doesn't fix the tight muscles. It doesn't fix the sympathetic overdrive. It doesn't fix a lot of things. It cuts out that stuff that keeps causing all of those things. So we still need to address all those other components for pain.
1: Have you seen, um, so you've seen the changes in the microbiota in the gut with SIBO. Have you seen any other changes in the gut um, with bacteria as it relates to endometriosis?
0: hard to tell like i work with a lot of integrative nutritionists all over like from connecticut all the way to california and um it's hard to know like a lot of uh the integrative or the naturopaths really do um like a gi map or different types mm-hmm. of testing which i which i i think are so fascinating i there's not many because it's an out-of-pocket cost to do that gi map I don't know many physicians or naturopaths or nutritionists who will send a second one off over time. I do it a lot. Oh, do you? Oh, I, <laughs> I love do it
1: that. a lot. I want to see if their symptoms are still there. I still want to see, but yeah, but most people,
0: if they're fine, they do
1: not want to run a second one. If they feel great, they don't.
0: Great. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the big thing is, um, it, we just, I, I don't know, and the question is, why do the patients also have all these other abnormalities? I, I really think it's the inflammatory effect of endo. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I really do. I really it, do. It sounds it sounds about right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So I think like we've we've kind of ascertained if you're bloated, if you're constipated. If you are basically given a diagnosis of IBS, but you still feel terrible, and then you also have the other four questions that you discussed earlier, that there's a likelihood that you need to go get checked for endo. So here's here's the problem with the podcast, or here are the emails that I get, is we'll have guests on, they'll get this great information, and they will go to you know their OBGYN, their MD, and they get totally written off. And so <laughs> it never gets looked at. So do you have any advice for somebody out there that's like, yes, this is 100% me. I'm scared. I'm frustrated. I've been to 12 docs. I am very upset. What what would your advice be to talk to their physician or potentially
0: who to go see? Right. Before I answer that, can I just clarify something that I had said at the beginning of the question? Absolutely. All patients experience symptoms of endometriosis differently. So meaning some people just have GYN symptoms. I have like a pair of sisters where one just has urological symptoms and no gut issues. She did have SIBO, but she wasn't, that wasn't her predominant symptom. It was more urological. And the other sibling was more GI manifestation. Some people don't have any GI or urological symptoms and they just have painful periods. Other people don't have painful periods. They have pain preceding a period or they have pain after a period. Some patients have no pain at all. They just experience infertility. So I have so many people who come to my office and say, I can't have endo because I have girlfriends or I have friends who have, it's so much worse than me. So I want to just like throw it out there that everyone's symptoms of endo are totally different. And some people are asymptomatic and there's no correlation between quantity of endo and severity of symptoms either meaning someone could have one spot of endo and have debilitating pain, while someone else can have a belly full of endo and no pain And the converse is true. Okay. So to answer your question, going to a general OBGYN is not going to be a fruitful place to go. And I'll tell you why. I tell my patients that I learned more in my first week of fellowship than I learned in eight years, meaning in the four years of my residency and four years of medical school. So general OBGYNs, God bless them, their breadth of knowledge, they're an OB obstetrics and GYN gynecologist. And most residency programs are so heavy in obstetrics and GYN gets like slighted. And also OBGYN is considered a quote unquote primary care specialty. So tons of our four years is how do we deal with and treat diabetes, high blood pressure, like stuff that thyroid stuff, stuff that internal medicine doctors are treating. And there's less and less of an emphasis on endometriosis. It's just like, you can't learn that all. So everything that I learned about endo was wrong that I learned. And GYNs are just armed with misinformation. It's not like they're bad people. They're amazing. God bless someone who can have such a breadth of knowledge. I'm in awe and I have admiration for them. I do one thing. I just have a really deep depth and I can't keep up with one topic, right? Like just endo. So they really need to find an endo specialist, um, can I give you on this podcast, can I give names of where they can find specialists? Please, that would be very helpful. And we'll put a link people. Or, yeah. Go okay. Ahead. So in the back of my book, I wrote a book called beating endo, how to reclaim your life from endometriosis, which you can get on Amazon or through HarperCollins or wherever there's a whole, um, uh, what is it called? Like resource in the back of my book that lists tons of places of to get good information. Cause you have to understand there's so much misinformation on the internet. Even the definition of endometriosis is wrong in most articles that we read in, in like different articles. So the, the back of my book has tons of resources, but my two, three favorite places to get good quality information. Um, number one, endowhat.com or endowhat.org. I can't remember they were switching out their website and there's a nice documentary that you can download, I think it's like 10 or $12 to download the documentary, but a hundred percent of the proceeds go to put a copy of that DVD in every school nurse's office across the country. And there's posters that we've, that have been created to put in school nurse's office. So if a young teen keeps going to the nurse with like period cramps, we're hoping that nurse will be armed with information to say, Hey, I think you may have endometriosis We're picking up endo early. So Endowhat.org or endowhat.com is a great place. Nancy's Nook is an online self directed educational uh, resource on Facebook. There's over 100,000 members. I don't know how many there are now, but it's just self directed. And there's um, a list of Nook physicians. I, I would say you just definitely need to do your own research with that list, but it does, it's a great starting point and And it lists doctors across the country who specialize in endo and who do excision of endometriosis. And then the endo coalition endo co uh, is another great resource. So those are my favorite three, uh, resources, to get great, good information about endometriosis. There's tons more. I mean, there's so many other ones. The back of my book lists tons of other resources, but just to give you a couple for to get people started. This is great.
1: Is, is there anything that I ask that you feel like is really important that we bring
0: up before we close today? Um, I, I think, can I just talk about like a couple of myths of endo that- That's great. I love that. that. Yeah. That that I feel like are such a disservice to those who are suffering so much. Um, Being told by a physician it's in your head, you know, have a glass of wine before sex. It won't hurt. I want to tell all those who are suffering in pain. I believe you. Gut. I know this is like a podcast on the gut, but trust your gut, trust your instinct. There is something and find an endometriosis specialist. Another myth is that pregnancy cures endometriosis or menopause cures endometriosis? Neither of those are true. Um, symptoms of endometriosis may get better during pregnancy or may get better during menopause, but it doesn't cure either. Um, a third one would be um, hysterectomy is the treatment for endo. Hysterectomy just, I like to break down words because I'm like a little nerd. Hyster means uterus, ectomy means to remove. They used to call women who were hysterical when they had their period because it was like their menses, but hysterectomy is not the cure or the treatment of endo. As I mentioned, endometriosis is found outside of or external to the uterus. So excision of endometriosis is the treatment of endo. The only time where we utilize a hysterectomy meaning removing someone's uterus in addition to excision of endometriosis is if they have endometriosis implants in the muscle of the uterus so that's known as adenomyosis so if someone's completed childbearing or they don't want children and the uterus is a source of their pain then you know they should have a discussion about adding hysterectomy in addition to excision and then the last myth is that ablation of endo is the same as excision of endo so those are surgical treatments excision of endo is the cornerstone of treatment of endometriosis. That literally means, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, cutting out those inflammatory implants that are like distorting the anatomy. Ablation of endo is a superficial um, removal of the disease. And, And I like to explain it like if endometriosis is involving my entire fingernail excision will remove the fingernail. I know that's gross, but it's just like a really tangible understanding where ablation is just going to get at like the white part of my fingernail, leaving the whole inflammatory aspect of endo behind. So you can't even put those words in the same sentence. And typically one ablation begets another ablation begets another one. And the way that I look at it, like I'm not the best cook and I've left Saran wrap by my stove when I'm cooking and it shrivels up, right? Okay. Maybe I can admit that. Maybe no one else has done that, but you can imagine if the endo is already pulled to the right and then you cauterize it or you ablate it or you burn it, what's going to happen. It's going to be socked in even more to the right. It's going to bury that inflammation even deeper. So it's just like pain gets worse and worse and and, and patients keep saying, oh, my endo came back. I got to go in for another surgery. And it's this like revolving door. It's trauma. It's awful. It's awful. So excision of endo is we have prospective randomized, randomized placebo controlled five-year data to show that excision is the correct modality.
1: Wonderful. Awesome. Well, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you?
0: So, I'm based out of LA. My office is in Beverly Hills, and um, my website is lagyndr.com, lagyndr.com. Um, and my book, Beating Endo How to Reclaim Your Life from Endometriosis, is on Amazon. It's a real holistic, multidisciplinary approach. And it's like a guidebook that even someone in the middle of the country I'm I'm Midwestern, so I'm not talking about where someone's from. But if they're in a place that doesn't even have an endo excisionist, they can navigate and start healing. And that's why I wrote it because because I want people to be able like to have a, a resource or a guidebook. Um, yeah, and um, I just I, I want all those to know who are suffering. Like I hear you, I feel you, and there is help out there. There's 200 million other patients out there who are suffering. And um, there's a second endometriosis movie that's coming out sometime in 2022. It's done waiting for release. And I think once that one comes out, there's going to be even more of a unification of patients who are really driving the uh, physicians to, 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 to learn how to um, diagnose endometriosis earlier, like, and I'll close with like a lot of my lectures when I talk to people who don't know about endometriosis, I'll entitle it, um, endometriosis hidden in plain sight. And I'm trying to arm pediatricians, internists, family docs, how to reclaim their life. That's Patient lives. how to reclaim yeah. lives, right. By asking the right questions. And so we don't suffer.
1: This has been amazing. You can tell that you just have a very huge heart for your patients and, and a heart to get this out, to let people know. So this has been so informative. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank
0: you for asking me. Mm-hmm. I love, I, I like so enjoy doing these and getting the word out and thank you for what you do. Cause the gut is like, trust me, it's just, I'm like, it's amazing. And, and I think all, all health comes from the gut and all healing comes from the gut. And, um, unfortunately there's no quick fixes in getting us healthy, but if we fix the gut, I think that's, that's the basis for, for, for health. It's a good starting place. It's definitely a good starting place. (laughs) Well,
1: thank you all our listeners for being here today. We really appreciate you. And, um, you want to hear more of something, please put that in the comment section. We will do our best to get that on. And thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Gut Health Reset Podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating and a review so more people can hear about the podcast. And hey, take a screenshot of this episode and tag Dr. Anne-Marie on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. And for more resources, just visit drannemariebarter.com.